0: The message this morning, you can take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 17. Uh, it's a little different from what I, what I typically preach. I, I usually preach a more, I would call it more expositionally, is sticking to one text and really pulling all of the, uh, the, the points and uh, the, the emphasis from one specific text. This would be not, not what I would call a topical message. I would call it more biographical. We're going to look at the early days of a man uh, in the Scriptures here uh, that I think... Uh, will give us some helpful lessons for us as we think about these last uh, weeks of the semester going into the summer. For some of you, graduation is hopefully coming you know, in just a few weeks, and I see a few graduating seniors sitting out here. And so you have that you're facing, and I trust the truth we look at here this morning will be helpful for that. So let's pray as we get started here this morning. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to look into the Word of God, and thank you for these students, for their heart for you, their desire to to be used of you, to know you, to serve you. Would you just uh, meet with us this morning now, give us the truth that we need, Uh, take just the simple thoughts from this life and use it to impact us, and uh, Lord, you directed to this message, so I know you have it for a reason, and for the hearts, for those that are here to listen, those that are watching via live stream, would you use it in their lives as well? We're just trusting you to work, Holy Spirit. We invite you to come and convict us, direct us, speak to us, and we ask this all in the name of Jesus, amen. Eddie Chapman was a British crook, and he was good at what he did. His specialty was blowing open safes. And um, taking the contents, of course. Uh, he was confident, he was quick, he was courageous. I mean, he, he thought on his feet very well, but sometimes, even the best get caught. And that was true for Eddie Chapman. He was sentenced to a prison after he was caught and pr- to prison there on the Channel Islands in the late 1930s. And when Germany captured the islands in 1940 he offered his services to Germany as a spy. And he quickly worked his way into the German secret service and was trained for a year by the Germans in occupied France and um, was eventually sent on his first real mission alone. And he was, his job was to plant an internal bomb in a key airplane factory outside of London And so he was dropped by parachute into Cambridgeshire on December 16th of 1942. And that moment, when he was dropped by parachute, there into England as a German spy was a defining moment in Eddie Chapman's life. Because in that moment, he showed whose side he was really on. Immediately upon landing in London he turned himself into the police and to the and to MI5 the British spy agency he was immediately taken he was interrogated he complied willingly telling them everything he knew about germany everything that he had learned while he was in occupied france and then he he offered his services as a british spy The officers there, after spending this time with him, questioning him, felt his loyalty was clear to Britain. And so Eddie Chapman became double agent Zigzag. That was his code name. But he still had a mission to accomplish for Germany, right? And so he and another MI5 agent devised an elaborate system of camouflage to make it appear that a bomb had exploded in the power plant of the airplane factory. They planted a fake story in the newspaper, and so effective was their deception that even the workers at the factory itself thought it was true. (laughs) And so did Germany. And so when Eddie Chapman arrived back in Germany after completing his mission to glean more information to feed to the British government, Adolf Hitler awarded Eddie Chapman Germany's highest honor, the Iron Cross. Double Agent Zigzag remains the only British citizen to ever receive such an honor. (laughs) Now, obviously, that's a pretty fascinating story. And when I came across that, I said, wow, this is just intriguing Um, how someone could live a double, triple life. I don't know what he was living. But he had a defining moment that showed whose side he was really on. A defining moment. There's another spy that we read about in the Word of God, perhaps a little bit more um, well-known to us than the story of Eddie Chapman. Not just one spy, though, really. There were 12. And you know the story there of Kadesh Barnea and the 12 spies that went in to spy out the land and how they came back. And in that moment, when they returned, we see a defining moment. There were 12 spies that day. But how many can you name this morning? Unless you're some crazy um, trivia buff here, you can probably only name two. Joshua and Caleb. Why? Why? Because when their defining moment came, it became clear whose side they were on, and it was only those two men who in that defining moment showed clearly we're on God's side. We're on God's side. That they were men of faith, Men who believed God and said, No matter what the circumstances, our God is able. No matter what the circumstances, I am going to walk by faith and believe God, even when it seems like a bad situation. It was a defining moment, but it is the reason why we know Joshua and Caleb today. When Joshua's defining moment came there at Kadesh Barnea, he was prepared. He was ready. You see, defining moments do not make you who you are. They reveal who you are. And what is taking place in your life before the defining moment, how you respond to things before the defining moment, that's what makes you who you are. And we maybe would call this defining moment, instead of that term, we would maybe more regularly use the term a test of faith. A test of faith of some sort. That is, uh, that is often what the, we would call a defining moment. Think about how often does Pastor Van Geldrin refer to the test of faith, the trial he went through with Wayne III that crisis in his life. Now, obviously, there was a lot of things happening in his life, and he certainly was, uh, God was working and moving, but that was a defining moment in his life. And he would tell you that, that when you look back, see, that that was the moment where it was solidified that I'm going to believe God for miracles. And that's why we're here today. You see, defining moments... The test of faith reveal. Are you a man of faith, a woman of faith? Are you going to believe God? Are you, or are you going to be like those 10 spies and well, whoever they are? Now listen, your defining moment, I don't know what it's going to be, but it will be a test of your faith. It will be. It could happen, at least there could be a defining moment that happens during the rest, sometime this. Semester, you know, before things conclude, however many weeks we have left. I'm not keeping track of that yet, like the graduating seniors are. Okay, we've had students who have had major defining moments in their life before they ever graduated cancer. Okay, we have a, one of our students who's not here currently because of a disease like cancer. Hey, Brother Sam, and can I tell you, it's been a defining moment, and I've been encouraged to see that he said, I'm going to believe God. And it's going to affect the rest of his life. It's going to mark his life, that defining moment. But, but, but maybe for you it'll be a stand for truth. I tell you, I was just with, with Pastor Party, again, at one of my classmates down in uh, South Carolina, and you know what, he's had to make some tough stands for truth it has not been easy as a pastor now of a church he's had, he's had to say you know what, we're going to do what's right even though this is really difficult to do that because people that you love whatever situations but he's he's taking a stand for truth and he said we're going to do what is right it's it's been a defining moment it showed clearly listen he's going to believe god And you know what, I am confident God is going to do great things in that church there because their pastor said, you know what, we're going to believe God. He's clearly shown whose side he's on. Believing God, a man of faith. It could be a personal stand you may have to take when you go home this summer, something God has done in your heart, and you've made a decision, and when you get home, that's going to be put to the test. And it's going to reveal, are you really committed to the position that God has led you to? Are you really committed to a personal walk with God? To seeking God when you're not in an atmosphere like BCM? I don't know what it's going to be. It could be temptation from, from friends, from old friends, whatever it is. It may be for some of you, graduation and the unknowns of beyond graduation. I don't know what your defining moment is going to be, but it will be a test of faith. And to In order to be prepared for the defining moments of tomorrow, you must listen to the voice of God today. So we're going to take a few moments here and look at the life of Joshua, the early days of Joshua before that defining moment, and we're going to see this simple truth that to be prepared for the defining moments of tomorrow, you must listen to the voice of God today. Three ways that God spoke to Joshua to prepare him for that defining moment and then beyond as he became the leader of Israel, conquering the land, walking by faith, seeing Jericho walls fall and so many other incredible things. But it was because Joshua learned to listen to the voice of God. So three ways that God spoke to Joshua. Let's begin looking here at Exodus chapter 17. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture so, uh, as, as we go through this. But Exodus 17, this really is kind of our introduction to Joshua. Exodus 17, verses, uh, beginning in verse number 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow, I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Now, you know this story here, of course. Joshua is the one on the ground, he's the one actually leading the armies, he's the one in the middle of the battle. And where is Moses? Moses says, I'm going to go up here on the top of the hill. Not because it's safer up there, but because he had a role to play up there that was just as vital. But he needed Joshua to lead there in the actual fighting of the battle. Now, notice verse 13 and 14, what happens. This is the conclusion of the story. It says, and Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Translated, they won, okay, they won the victory. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Okay, so they won the battle that day. So here we see this this lesson that God spoke to Joshua here. We hear the voice of God through authority the voice of God through authority. You must listen to the voice of God through authority. Okay, Joshua is very inexperienced here. Think about this for a moment. What did Joshua spend his life doing? Making bricks. That's, that's what he did. He, he made brick buildings. He, you know, picked up straw and grabbed water and You know, whatever, they made bricks over there. I don't know, but they used straw. We know that from the book of Exodus. Okay, he carried heavy loads, maybe. He didn't fight battles. That's not what Joshua had done in his life. This was new to him. He was not a military leader. He didn't lead armies. That was not in his realm of experience. But here, Moses comes to him and says, I need you to lead the army. I need you to go and do something you've never done before. You're in charge down there. Okay. He was inexperienced. Had no clue what he was doing. Have you ever had that happen to you? An authority in your life, the man of God, here, Moses, but an authority comes to your life and says, hey, I need you to do this. What? I have no clue. I've never done that before. I don't have any idea what I'm doing. This is outside my realm of experience here. Listen when God speaks to you maybe through an authority he may ask you to something you don't to do something you don't feel qualified to do. He may ask you to do something that seems outside your realm of experience that seems beyond your capabilities. But notice how Joshua responded here because it shows us how we need to respond. Moses says, "Listen, Joshua, you go out there and you do the fighting. You you lead the I'm going to go do the praying. That's what he's doing up on the mountain and you go do the you lead the fighting down there." And here's, all we see is this, so Joshua did as Moses just said. He did it. Though Joshua was inexperienced, he was obedient. He was obedient. Moses gave the command, and even though it seemed impossible, even though he had no clue what he was doing humanly, Joshua obeyed. Because he knew that God spoke to and through Moses. He understood that God spoke through authority. And so he said, all right, I'm going to obey. God's going to have to deliver here. God's going to have to deliver. You know why why Joshua was a man of faith at Kadesh Barnea, saying, listen, God can deliver them into our hand? Because he had already watched God do it. He believed God, even though he said, "I, I can't do this. It was impossible that day against Amalek. But God gave the victory under Joshua's leadership because Joshua was... Obedient. Can I tell you, God will speak to you through authorities in your life. Maybe your parents, your pastor, teachers, while you're here at BCM, administration, deans. God will speak to you through authority. There's always going to be authorities in your life. The question is, are you willing to to listen and be obedient and say, you know what? This is God speaking to me. Now, sometimes we can, I've seen this happen, that we kind of go out the window and say, all right, well, I need to know what to do. So then they go ask an authority. That's not what we're talking about here. You better have a walk with God where you can say, God, what am I supposed to do? And God may, may use and often will use authorities to confirm the direction that he gives in your personal walk with him. And that's important. That's an important part, important principle. But what we're talking about here is when you're in a position and it's not like you saying, all right, I'm not sure what the next step is in, is in my life, but an authority comes to you and says, listen, I, I need you to do this. You're in a position, God's put you there, he has put you underneath their leadership and he says, all right, we need you to do this. You know what? God is speaking to you. And there may be times when an authority comes and says, I'd like you to consider this. Would you pray about this? Okay, well then, you need to consider it and pray about it and say, God, is this something you have me to do? And God may be leading you through that. There's other times when an authority comes to you and says, listen, I need you to go do this. Then we need to obey. Joshua did not tell Moses, all right, I'm going to pray about that. You just told me, I'm going to go pray and see if I should lead this battle. No, he just did. As Moses commanded him, as Moses spoke to him. And listen, young people, we need to realize that God will speak to us through authority. It does not mean your authorities are perfect. They're not. I'm a parent, I'm far from perfect. I'm a ministry leader, I'm far from perfect. You don't have perfect authorities, and you never will. Don't try to think, well, the authorities here aren't perfect, so I'm going to go somewhere else where I'm going to have more perfect authorities. You're not going to find more perfect authorities. They're imperfect everywhere. It's not an issue of how perfect your authority is. It's an issue of can God use them to speak to you. And he can so you say, maybe I have unsaved parents, or one of my parents is unsaved, or this authority in my workplace, my boss, he's not saved. God can speak to you through an unsaved person. He can. Are you ready and willing to obey? Listen, this is not an issue about really the authority at all. How big is your God? If God could use God could use a donkey to speak to Balaam. Don't you think he can use anyone to speak to you? The question is, are you listening for the voice of God through your authorities? And are you willing to obey? Even if you don't feel like you can, even like Joshua, this is outside the realm of my experience. This is not something I'm able to do in and of myself. Are you willing to step out and say, all right, I'll obey because God's speaking to me. God is leading me. God is directing me in this. Even if it doesn't make sense. If it was me, you know, I'm probably, this is just how my brain thinks. If I was there and Mo, Moses comes to me and says, listen, you grab some men and you go down there and you go fight against that army that's coming. all right, I'm going to go up here. I don't know. There's something in me, and this is probably just my, my human flesh rebellion nature. I don't know. would probably think, wait, you go fight the battle. I'll go pray. that's dangerous (laughs) it's a lot safer up there listen sometimes what an authority tells you to do might be confusing it might seem like do they really have my best interests in mind are they just like they're taking the easy job and giving me the hard thing That may be what it looks like from your perspective. Sometimes that happens, and it seems like, this this doesn't really make sense. How does this line? It's not your job to figure that out. Because the chances are there's probably things you don't know that are part of the decision that's being made about why you're being asked to do that. Can you trust your God to use that authority enough to obey Joshua was inexperienced, he was, but he was obedient. And because of that, Joshua was victorious. Okay? He defeated Amalek, not by his own might or his power, but because of the power of God. And though Joshua was the physical leader on the battlefield, it was not him that gave the victory. It was not him that made it happen. Though he was inexperienced, he obeyed the voice of God through his authorities, and because of that, he won a great victory. And listen, if you'll listen for the voice of God through your authorities, and if you'll obey the voice, that voice, you too will experience personal victories in your life that will strengthen your faith in God for the future. So that when your defining moment comes, you're ready. Ready? because you've already seen God work, you've already seen God use you because you've heard his voice and obeyed. Hearing God's voice through authority. That's the first introduction we have to Joshua really. He hears the voice of God through authority and obeys and God gives a great victory. What's the second the second way that God spoke? that we see Joshua interacting with. Turn to Exodus 24 now. And verse number 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount, and be there. And I will give thee tables of stone, and a law, and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up, and his minister Joshua. And Moses went up into the mount of God. And he said unto the elders, "Tarry ye here for us, Moses and Joshua, until we come again unto you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai. Here we see the God, the voice of God through communion. Through communion with God. See, Joshua was hungry to know God. Joshua wanted to know God. Let's look at one other passage of scripture really here, real real quickly here. Exodus thirty-three and verse Number nine. And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Okay, two situations here where we see all the people are there, but we have Moses and Joshua meeting with God. Now, Joshua, when we're talking about going up into the mountain, he couldn't go all the way up into the mountain with Moses. Moses had to go alone. God made that clear. But Joshua went as far as he possibly could with Moses. Then we see him in the tabernacle here, and this is not referring to the tabernacle as we think of that word. They hadn't made that yet. This is just the tent of meeting is the idea. This is the, is the place where God would come down and meet with Mo- Moses, whether it was, it was set up specifically for that purpose, but it wasn't the official uh, tabernacle, as we call it now from the timeline perspective. Uh, that wasn't there yet. But Joshua, we see here, was hungry to know God. I mean, absolutely more than anything else, he said, I, I, want, I want to be near to God. I want to hear from God. I want to be where God is. We see that he wanted to be with people who knew God. He wanted to be with people who knew God. Joshua spent a lot of time with Moses. Though he was much younger than Moses, he's called a young man there in Exodus 33. Moses is an old man by this time. And though he was really, his role was a personal assistant To Moses, he also found Moses to be a good friend. He just wanted to be with him. When Moses went up to the mountain, Joshua went with him. They waited there together on that mountain for six days until God called Moses up further into his presence. Can you imagine those six days? What were they doing? What conversations were Moses and Joshua having On that mountain, as they're seeing the cloud on the mountain up above them, as they're waiting for God to call Moses up, what were they talking about? I don't think they were talking about the football game. I don't think they were talking about frivolous things. They're here preparing to meet with God. And Moses took Joshua with him because he knew that Joshua, too, had a heart to know God. He had a heart to be in God's presence. After the golden calf incident and all that takes place there, when Moses went to the tent of meeting to seek God on behalf of the people, and that pillar of cloud came down and stood over the door, the presence, the picture of the presence of God, as Moses then met with God face to face, the entire nation watching and bowing on their faces in their tent doors, we find one person not in their tent. But with Moses, Joshua, in the tent of meeting, on his face, right beside Moses. He was with the man of God. See, Joshua wanted to be with people who knew God because he wanted to know God himself. And he said, they know God, they can help me know God. Who do you choose as your close friends? And this could be physical friends and it could be friends that we communicate with digitally. Could be the influences out there digitally that we allow to really be friends in our life, to shape our thinking. Who are your close friends? Who are your role models? Who are the ones you're saying, these are the people that I'm seeking to to follow and I want to be with. Why? Because you enjoy their personality? because you get along real well, you have a lot of the same interests. Friends, you need to choose close friends because they know God. And maybe your personality, you know, you're not drawn to them from a personality standpoint like you are to some other people. Make the decision to say, I want to be with people who know God. I want to spend time with people who are passionate about being in God's presence and seeking Him and being used of Him. You have an opportunity. We have some just incredible role models who are around here on a regular basis. Try to get close to them. They're not going to push you away. You say this person knows God. All right, try to get close. You say I want to be with I want to be with those people. You know why I wanted to travel with Doctor Jim when I was in college? Because I could see it. Doctor Jim knows God, I've got to be around him. I want. I don't know. I want that to rub off on me that hunger, that walk with God. And I'm grateful now to have a personal relationship where I can spend time with someone like Dr. Jim on a regular basis because he knows God. I'm thankful for that with Pastor and his, his willingness to, to let me get closer to him because he, he knows God, he walks with God. Listen, who are your friends, your close friends? Are they people who know God? You see, Joshua wanted to be with people who knew God. But not only that, he wanted to be in the places where he knew God would show up. He wanted to be in the places where he knew God would show up. Joshua did not have to go up on the mountain that day. Aaron didn't. Her didn't. He didn't have to be there. He went because he wanted to. And it's because I think Joshua knew God was going to show up. And so he wanted to be as close as he could to God showing up. And when Moses went to the tent of meeting to hear from God, Joshua wanted to be there too because he knew God was coming. God was going to speak with them. Listen, how hungry are you to be in places where God will show up? I mean, how passionate you are getting, all right, God, I think God's going to show up here. I've got to be there. I don't want to miss this. Every time I read through the story there after the resurrection, when Jesus comes and meets with his disciples, I'm struck there by the simple statement that, You know, Doubting Thomas? When Jesus shows up to his disciples, it says specifically that Thomas was not there when Jesus came. And I thought, man, I want to be there when God shows up. I don't want to miss it when Jesus comes. And again, we see the mercy there of Jesus coming back just for Thomas. And wow, what an incredible mercy of God, but how hungry are you to be in places where, where you would expect God to be there? If, if I was to say, listen, next week, next Tuesday evening, Donald Trump is going to be here on campus. He's going to be right here in the music hall. And uh, if you're able to come, you want to be here, you'll be able to, you know, to talk with him, interact with him, ask him any questions, whatever, all this, these things, okay, whatever. I don't know if he's the best example, but he's you know, a prominent person, so... Donald Trump. How, how would you respond if you knew he was going to be here? Probably, for most in this room, if there, we had something else scheduled, I'm going to change that. So I, can, I mean, this is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So that I can be here and I can, you know, actually meet him and say, "Hey, I shook Donald Trump's hand." I, I'm changed those pre-scheduled things because I know that that he's going to be here. You would not be standing out in the hallway when he was in here. Speaking. You wouldn't be having a conversation with your buddy about something, you know, down the hallway. You'd be here. Why is it that we don't have the same expectation about God being here? Why is it that we, that we are so... We have so much anticipation for a meeting with, with a person, rather than a meeting with God? We don't have that same hunger and expectation. Why do we treat when maybe some great musician comes? And we treat that with greater reverence than we do saying, God's supposed to be here. We're expecting God to show up at this prayer meeting. We're expecting God to show up at this service. Listen, if we had the heart of Joshua, we would not be standing out in the lobby having a conversation When God is speaking to us, we wouldn't be sitting in our chair snoozing when God is speaking. You see, Joshua wanted to be in the place where he knew that God would show up. Not only that, he wanted to stay with God as long as he could. Did you notice that phrase in, in Exodus 33? Did you notice it? Verse number 11, the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend, and he turned again into the camp. He left to go talk to the people. He had gotten a message from God, and God says, all right, go give the, give the message. But Joshua didn't leave. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, departed not out of the tabernacle. Moses left because God told him to leave, but Joshua didn't. This clearly shows shows us Joshua wasn't just tagging along because that was his job to wait on Moses' hand and foot. Moses leaves, and Joshua stays. He wanted to stay with God as long as God would let him. As long as God would allow him to stay with God, he said, I want to be here. He just wanted to be with God. He wasn't in a rush to get out and do what he needed to do. There was things, no doubt, that should be done. But he said, I'm going to stay with God as long as I can stay with God. As long as God will allow me to be here, as long as he'll continue meeting with me, I'm going to continue meeting with him. And listen, so there's some that say here that, you know, Moses left Joshua there to guard the tabernacle so nothing would be taken and, um, you know, or damaged. But this is not... This is not that tabernacle. There was nothing there to take. There was nothing there to steal or damage. It was just a tent where God came and spoke. There was no Ark of the Covenant yet. He stayed there to be with God. Friend, listen, would you stay with God as long as God will let you stay with Him? God's meeting with you. Keep meeting with him until he says go. Listen, I know you have schedules here and those things, class requirements, okay? Refer back to point number one, the voice of God through authority says to be on time, so God spoke to you there. But when you have opportunity Just stay with God. Meet with God for as long as God will meet with you. Don't put a time time limit on a meeting with him. Now Moses wasn't being disobedient here. He wasn't being unspiritual when he left. He wasn't. God told him to. So stay with God until God tells you to go. And then when he says, go, obey. See, if we're just going to say, well, I'm just going to revel in the presence of God, and God's saying, go, or now we're disobeying God. You see, Joshua was listening to the voice of God through communion, through meeting with God. Friend, what is your personal walk with God like? Joshua wanted to know God. And if you want to be prepared for your defining moments, you must be hungry to meet with God. You must hear his voice through communion. Did you do your devotions this morning, or did you meet with God? Over spring break, some of you had more time than others. I recognize that. Some of you were slaves on the roof, you know. But you had some extra time. Did you meet with God? Did you seek him? Were you hungry to know God? Boy, I have some, I have bit, I have some extra time here. Let me, let me seek the Lord. God, God, let me take some time to seek you. The voice of God through communion. Quickly, number three, the voice of God through reproof. Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. Verse number 27, this is after the 70 elders are chosen to help Moses there, and God's spirit comes down on them, but two of those elders weren't actually with all the others, so it was a meeting of 68 elders, and two were missing. I don't know what they were doing, but they were somewhere in the middle of the camp, And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad, those two men, do prophesy in the camp. God's spirit came down on them and they began to prophesy. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men, answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. Saying, listen, this shouldn't be going on. This is your your job. They shouldn't be out there prophesying. You're the man of God. You're the one who's supposed to speak for God. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. You see, Joshua here, we see he was loyal, absolutely loyal to Moses. But he was mistaken. There was was something that he wasn't seeing right, that he wasn't understanding right. Yes, he had a heart for God and for the man of God and he wanted to be under authority and he wanted to, to, to do what was right. He wanted to serve the Lord. He was um, uh, certainly we would say a man of God here, but, but he had something wrong in his perspective, something he wasn't seeing clearly, he wasn't seeing right. And these two men start prophesying, and Moses hears about, and jo- Joseph, Joshua says, whoa, this, this shouldn't be happening. Moses is the leader, he's the one who should prophesy. But then Moses corrected his thinking. He corrects his wrong thinking, and gently but strongly he rebukes him. And listen, he wasn't out to get Joshua. He wasn't out to discourage him. He wasn't out there to try to just, you know, to to throw him under the bus and rake him over the coals. He was just trying to help him to think correctly, to prepare him for what God was going to have him do in the future. And so, so he rebukes him. And God was speaking to Joshua about a need in his life through Moses' words of reproof. Do you realize that's what God is trying to do every time you receive reproof? He's trying to speak to you and say, here's an area that needs to be fixed. Here's an area where you're not thinking correctly, you're not acting correctly, you're not trusting me, whatever it is. That reproof comes and he says, God is, it's not that authority saying, listen, you need to straighten this out, well, you got a problem. God is trying to speak to you and say, listen, there's an area that needs to be changed in your life. You might say, but, but Mr. Mueller, I don't think they're reading the situation right. They didn't understand my motive. They didn't, whatever. Listen, God is still trying to speak to you. God is still trying to speak to you. Whenever that teacher or a friend or a pastor or a parent comes to you and says, listen, you blew it. You should not have done that. That wasn't the right way to do this. That was not the right decision. You need to recognize, okay, like I saying, there's something in my life here, and God's trying to confront it. God's trying to speak to me. We do not like to be reproved, right? None of you, I mean, for some of you guys, your worst, your, your worst nightmare is to get called in by Pastor Swanson and have him say, listen, you blew it big time. That, that was wrong. You shouldn't. Some of you, that's just like, oh. It's a gift from God every time that you're reproved. Don't harden your neck to it. Don't, don't react to it. Don't get upset about it. Don't say, oh, that authority, that person, that, that friend, that person, forget that. Man, I can't believe they would say that to me. No, receive, reproof. Because God is trying to speak to you. We see that Joshua was teachable. So where do we see that, Mr. Mueller? It doesn't say, give us Joshua's response. No, it doesn't here. But the next time we see Joshua, is Kadesh Barnea, and he's walking by faith, and God's hand is on his life. He's not sitting back in, in bitterness, in, in anger, in, in reaction to Moses saying, yeah, Moses, you got this one wrong here. No, we don't see the fruit of an unteachable spirit. He clearly must have said, oh, Moses, you're right. Receive the reproof. Realized God was speaking to him. You see, if he was like you and me, maybe we would have gotten, gotten embarrassed. This happened publicly. Maybe get bitter. Hold it against the authority. Push the authority away. Say, I can't believe they would do that to me. Instead of realizing God is seeking to speak to you through reproof. What is your response to reproof today? When someone comes and confronts you and says, listen, this, this wasn't right. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. You weren't thinking right about this. That wasn't a wise decision. How do you respond? Do you embrace it as the voice of God? Do you recognize it as a tool of God to confront a need in your life? Even, and this happens sometimes, even if the person doing the reproving maybe didn't do the reproving right. Sometimes a friend comes and they just blast you. And you think, whoa, that was a little over the top maybe. You needed it. Maybe, maybe the way they did it wasn't exactly how God wanted to do it, but God, God knew you needed that, whatever it was. Do you believe God can do that? Do you believe God's big enough to use an imperfect reproof to correct a need in your life? Listen, there's things in our life that will hinder us later when those defining moments come if we're not confronted, if somebody doesn't reprove us so that it can be dealt with. You see, to, prepare, to be prepared for the defining moments of tomorrow, you must listen to the voice of God today through authority, through communion with Him, through reproof. See, the next time Joshua appears on the scene is a spy at Kadesh Barnea standing with God when almost no one else would. When that defining moment came, he was ready. And it's not because Joshua was some great man. He wasn't some great leader. Joshua just had a great God and he was constantly listening to hear him speak so that he could obey. I guarantee you this morning, God is speaking to you through one of those three ways. Are you listening? And are you obeying?